So now I can welcome you to the meditation hall. Another home for you for this week. <clears throat> and I hope that this is a place that you feel comfortable and secure and supported. Um, the um, A few practical things about the meditation hall. Um, we have all these brown meditation chairs, which works maybe for some people, um, maybe not for others. And you're welcome to bring any, any um, chair that's out in public space into the meditation hall. So those black chairs uh, in the dining room, we have more of those in the closet right outside here uh, next to the uh, drinking fountain. There's a fire closet and there's more of them there. You can bring them in here. Um, those turquoise uh, chairs on rollers. If that's what works best for you, you're welcome to roll those right in here. Um, hopefully you'll find what you want. And some of you already seen that there are different, um, uh, all kinds of, you know, paraphernalia you can use to get more height, you know, if, you, if you're tall or more support from the floor with those, especially those uh, hard, um, black foam, they're, they're, they're designed for the feet to be on. Um, and for those of you who are new, uh, they'll be tomorrow morning, in the, in the late morning, during the walking period, uh, some instructions on meditation posture. So get some guidance on that. And if you've never had instructions on meditation posture, I'd encourage you to stay for that because even if you've been practicing for a long time, you might pick up some things that might be useful. And tomorrow morning we'll also give instructions for walking meditation and every morning at the 8.30 sitting we'll give uh, instructions for the meditation and that'll be sequential and we'll build over the days the instructions as we go along. And, um, and there'll be other announcements we'll make. Um, one of the little secrets about insight meditation that uh, everything you need to know will be made clear if you're present. So if you keep showing up and are here, we'll make announcement as we need. It's really going to guide you and support you as we go along. Talk about being on the retreat and things. It's customary uh, in, um, in the traditional Buddhist monasteries and the beginning of a retreat is to um, uh, extend goodwill, metta, to all the guardian spirits that are in the neighborhood. And um, so, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what those are around here, but um, it's a wonderful idea, the idea that in order to create the space for a retreat, we want to kind of begin by kind of spreading the environment with our goodwill. And you might consider that a little bit today and maybe tomorrow morning as we get started, that, um, you know, if you have space, you know, if you're not too tired or too worried about being here or something, that if they have space to uh, spend a little bit, a little bit of time spreading your goodwill. Uh, just kind of consider, have thoughts of goodwill for yourself, for others here, the community, for the neighborhood, the trees, the animals. And it's just kind of like, let it be a field for it. Because if you do that, and you can do it genuinely, I think it comes back and supports you as well, supports the whole retreat. 
And I was a little bit inspired to say that by the fact that we have this, uh, uh, apparently they call it a super moon. It's, uh, we're, we're beginning the retreat on the full moon night, um, which is always auspicious. And, um, and just as we want the guardian spirits that come close to take care of us, the moon is as close as it's going to be for the next 50 years. It's close, you know, it hasn't been this close for 50 years or more. So, uh, 60 years or more, I think. So, you know, the moon's here to help us, support us, at least give us more light at night. And then I wanted to say one thing about, um, that's very special, it's very nice for me, very special for me to be teaching this with Bob. And um, it was the first time we've taught a retreat together. And I've gotten to know Bob over these years and really have great love for him, admir admiration for him. And, and I was looking forward to our spending time together. And in one of our conversations some years ago, we discovered something very interesting. Um, the, the way that something that's one becomes two, and then at this retreat it's become one again. So this is how it works. That um, uh, in the 1980s, there was a man named Howard Noodleman, who was a doctor at El Camino Hospital. And uh, he was a Vipassana student. In fact, he was the president of the Spirit Rock Board of Directors for a while in the 1980s, getting Spirit Rock started. So he was very inspired by, <coughs> by Vipassana and all that. And he wanted to bring more of this into the world. So he started this uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction program, or worked to get it started, at El Camino Hospital. And he also started a sitting group in Palo, in Palo Alto. And then, uh, in, uh, in the early 1990s, he started to die. So he had these two things that he had started. So he passed the MBSR to Bob at El Camino Hospital, and he passed the sitting group to me. And these two uh, forces that grew out of this one man grew and developed in parallel without knowing too much about each other, certainly not knowing about the background, that where the, the common source that we had. And then one day we were talking, and like, oh, <laughs> 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 you know, we had the you know, same thing. And so, so for us to come together now and teach together this way <clears throat> is a way of remembering how Howard Noodleman and how this beautiful heart and practice of his um, you know, came into the world in this way that spread out and, and now what was one in his heart became two and now has become one again in the heart here for this retreat. So it's, so it's very nice and, and um, so for, I think for both of us, it's kind of, uh, with that background for this, it's kind of special uh, moment to be here on this retreat. And um, Okay. Yeah, it's uh thank you for bringing up Howard. And um Yeah, I just have deep gratitude uh, for Howard and um and um yes, the when Gil and I found out that uh had this dear friend that uh, each left us with a gift. So very special indeed to, to be here tonight. And yeah, I think it is also um, auspicious uh, on this uh, super moon. I was looking at it walking here. 
And um, yeah, may it be here to help us to see clearly. And um, actually, my um, I was ordained temporarily as a Buddhist monk many years ago, and it was um, name was Usandima, and Usandima is the deva of the moon. So I always have a very great kinship of the moon. And um, so we all get to uh, to bathe in it. So I, I love um, being in retreat, a place where we don't need to go anywhere else or do anything else, and knowing we have to be. So time just to, uh, to be with our hearts. And uh, yes, um, well, perhaps it's fair to say that whenever you say it's been quite a week, it's probably relevant, and last week has also been quite a week. And um, it's good that we're here to sit and to um, be present to our hearts and mind. And it's a rare opportunity to go on retreat. It's, it's not so easy to get here. I trust many of you know that. Plus, actually, to get into the lottery to come to the retreat's not easy either. <laughs> but it's not easy to make the time, the space, and maybe just a moment of um, allowing ourselves to feel the gratefulness that we are here. and the gratefulness of all those that are caring for the house, the pets, the plants, the work, the life, our life, that we can be here. So I really want to consider those that are supporting us to be here like our benefactors. And so perhaps just inviting in some moments of gratitude that are those that are supporting us so we can be here. And so as we embark upon uh, the retreat, I really want to speak just for a few moments about um, our effort and practice, and may it be wise. May we practice and hold um, ourselves with, with compassion, with kindness, which doesn't mean not putting effort forth, but a wise effort. There's a meditation teacher in Australia, his name is Bob Sharples, and speaks about inviting the practice to be one of, of befriending or an act of love. And he says, in this way, it's no longer the subtle aggression of self-improvement or the endless guilt of not doing enough that wraps our lives in a knot. 
So there's a certain wisdom of practicing wisely. So we want to support the attitude of um, a way of compassion, of holding ourselves with kindness as we practice. And I love that notion of um, Gil was inviting earlier about you know there's no mistakes. So what arises is the practice, and as much as we can begin to understand that our practice applies in this week to everything that we do, from getting up, sitting down, from toileting, brushing teeth, eating, all these different activities of day-to-day living we can bring our mindfulness to. And just a wonderful little and very simple equation is that the moment that you realize that you're not present, you are. And the practice begins again and again and again. So this practice of training with kindness, we're working on the repetition of the practice to develop our concentration and awareness together. I think that's probably enough for now, so thank you for your attention. So, um, another kind of practical thing about being in here. So some of you are practice leaders, and that's a gift you give to the community. And um, I wasn't really anticipating when we started this system of practice leaders, but um, periodically on retreats, people who sit out there with where you are, who are not practice leaders, say they really appreciate that one of their own, kind of the practice community, is sitting up here leading the sitting and ringing the bell, caring for it. It helps kind of knit people together. Kind of, so I hope maybe that will be the case this retreat as well. But it's, uh, in any case, the people who are practice leaders, um, uh, you're just, uh, you'll, you'll sit up here, and if you, if you sit on a cushion, you can sit where I'm sitting. This is the spot. And there's a clock up here, and if you have questions about the schedule, because uh, periodically people forget when the sitting ends, uh, there's a schedule right up here on the stage you can check. And um, if you're a chair sitter and want to sit in a chair, this chair here is for you to use. And then you can just bring the bell over to the corner here of, this, of the stage. And, um, and before we go any further, are there any questions anyone has about being here that would help you feel more comfortable? or? Anything that uh, you'd like to know? It all seems pretty straightforward. And, or maybe you already trust the system that everything's been designed so carefully here that <laughs> it'll all work out. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's the custom as a way of beginning the retreats to um, uh, what's good, do the little ritual or going for refuge. The actual word for uh, going is um, 
actually the Pali word is walking, kachami. And I like the idea that it's actually walking because walking is something you do with your whole body. It's physical. You can go something in your car, you know, you go on the bus or the train and, and uh, you know, it's someone, you know, the conveyor belt will take you there. But, um, but to walk, that's something you really do yourself. It's a choice, hopefully. You choose to walk into something. And so we choose to walk into the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And the way we walk towards it or into it is we go for it for refuge, for protection, for an orientation of what's the values that we're basing our lives on or our practice on, and um, and a um, and a kind of a a a inspiration or devotion of the heart. So it's both in uh, something that we can understand, it's something that can motivate us, and it's something that can uh, be support for the heart and act of faith. And those those things are meant to support us, to protect us, to to keep us going. And what's nice about them is that um, they're not personal. And there are times periodically in practice where it's a really helpful uh, that practice is not just a self-improvement project or j just as you know, a self-project that you have to do certain things up to you to succeed and make something happen or attain something or you're responsible or you're to blame or something like that. Or there's a, you know, sometimes huge challenges that we face. And it can be very helpful to understand that our life is supported by forces that are larger than us. That, so one of them is Sangha's community. That uh, we don't just do this alone, but we do it together with companions on the way. And I can speak with great confidence that I could not have practiced as much as I did without the support of others around me who are also practicing and inspiring me and moving me and teaching me and showing me and modeling for me. And, um, and so I feel like there's this wide web of support that is not me personally, but that is around me or with me that uh, I go to for refuge. It's nice for me to be reminded of that and, and be known that. And if I'm fi finding things challenging or difficult, um, I say, oh yeah, the community is there to support as well. It's not just me alone. We're doing it together and I'm supported. Uh, we're supported by the Dharma. And uh, the Dharma is this phenomenal, multifaceted gem uh, the Dharma is uh, these wonderful teachings that I just keep marveling at the more I study them. And, um, you know, I've been studying this for over 40 years, and I just, the more and more I study, the more I marvel at it. It just seems like, how could this be? It's just like so rich. and um, gets richer and richer. And these, uh, you know, so I just marvel at this profundity of the teaching, the width of them, the spread of them. And, and I feel so glad that uh, those support me. They're there to kind of guide us and, and uh, it's not just up to my little mind to figure things out. There's all these great teachings that people, not just the Buddha, but others down through the ages have discovered that add, to the, add up to the teachings. And then Dharma is also um, the practices that we do. And, um, and so the practice of mindfulness and concentration and compassion and loving kindness, all the different practices. And, um, and there also, it's, I've been amazed that um, uh, that uh, I do, it's kind of like, 
when I practice is as you practice is putting, to putting in place certain conditions. Practice is not about attaining anything. You practice to attain, to make something happen, but you practice to put the conditions in place that allows something to surface and arise and move through us, that allows concentration to arise, allows insight to arise. And we have our important role, so we do our practice, but uh, the fact that the practices have these unseen ways or a part of a natural process, natural flow of phenomena, natural flow of life, um, and that it supports us and moves through us, helps me tremendously because at times when it's challenging and difficult, I know it's just, it's not up to just me to figure this out or make it happen. I can, I have something I can trust. I can trust the practices. I can trust the natural unfolding of things in the same way that if I cut my finger with a knife, like in the kitchen, um, I can trust if I keep it clean, the wound, and keep it bandaged maybe, um, I can trust that, you know, the body knows what to do. It'll heal it. And uh, whatever the, wherever the practice resides, you know, the, in the heart or the mind or, I don't know where it is in the body, that, um, that just like the body knows how to heal, so the heart knows how to heal. The heart knows how to move and develop and grow. And, uh, it, you know, I probably, I couldn't figure out how, I, I don't have the intelligence to figure out how to heal a cut. I think it's a very complicated psychophysical, neurological, hormonal event. You know, I just probably, you know, way beyond my pay grade. Um, but so is, the, so is the unfolding of Dharma practice. Uh, it's also, you know, a tremendous amount of psychological, physical, emotional forces that come into play. And um, I, we do our work the best we can, as sincerely as we can, but something else is operating as well within us. And uh, I take refuge in that. I find support in that. I'm so, I can't imagine having continued along this path if I thought it was all up to me. And so to take refuge in the Dharma is the practices, the natural processes that unfold from the practices. Um, is uh, you know is uh, uh, is a second refuge. The first refuge is the Buddha, but in fact, when they in the ancient texts when they talk about taking refuge in the Buddha, they don't actually say the Buddha himself. They say take refuge in the body of the Buddha, take refuge in the awakening of the Buddha, and uh, and I think there's a very important distinction between taking refuge in the person versus taking refuge in the awakening. I, probably the Buddha was an amazing person. And, and if, you know, from what, whatever I could pick up from the suttas and all that, I have a lot of trust and confidence in this person. But, um, but it's really the, the, it's the awakening that he experienced, the freedom of the mind, freedom of the heart that he attained. That's what inspires me the most. And that's not a personal phenomenon. It's, that's not unique to him. And that's why it's so special to take refuge in the awakening of the Buddha, because it's not just taking refuge in him, the person, but it's taking refuge in a capacity that we all have. We all have the ability to become awake. We all have the ability to free the heart from all that constricts it and limits it. We all have the ability to open our minds from all, to free it from all the bias and all the uh, contractions that exist within it. And the, 
the fact that we have this capacity and this potential is like one of the great miracles. I think it's just fantastic. Um, and, um, you, know, you know, everything is better with awakening. Let's say it differently. Everything that's worth doing is better with awakening. And uh, much better. And so this amazing work we do to tap into this potential and discover how to be free, discover how to liberate ourselves, discover the depth of compassion that comes along with liberation, um, is, um, you know, it's, it's like something that's worthwhile having confidence in. It's something worthwhile devoting one's life to. It's something worthwhile to really allow to grow and develop and, and be realized. Because with that, all the other things that are worth doing uh, become so much more effective, so much more powerful, so much more meaningful. If we want to help the world, uh, the, uh, what, with, with awakening, the world can be helped with the greatest help that's available. And so this beautiful thing that we have in our own hearts, so take refuge in the Buddha's awakening, is not much different than taking refuge in something within ourselves which is not the self. <laughs> something inside ourselves which we can't exactly take personal credit for or can't exactly claim as mine. It's, it's bigger than that or it's more expansive than any little idea you have about who you are. Or I don't want to belittle any of you. Maybe some of you have big ideas of who you are. <laughs> some of you are quite creative. And um, Anyway, this, this beautiful thing that's in, within us, that uh, supports us and guides us. So, what I just did now was present, you know, in the very personal understanding of going for refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha. And um, I don't know if some of you have heard this before, have considered this before, and maybe you have your own way, own understanding It's different than that. Um, but at this point in the retreat, what we do is we kind of evoke this little more impersonal forces or supports that exist in the world. In the course of the retreat, you might remember that it's, it might be useful from time to time to remember these are here with you all the time. And you can rely on them, you can trust them, you can fall back on them when nothing else is possible. So, oh, I take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. And they will support you. They'll keep you going, help you be patient and see through to the other side of what's happening. So it's a customary to begin the retreats with this former little ritual of going for refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha. Some of you are kind of new to all this, maybe. And uh, you're welcome to, if you don't relate to these three words, you're welcome to uh, restate them in your own mind in ways that are meaningful to you, that are comparable. Some people say the Buddha is the truth, and uh, the, 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 Buddha, um, the Buddha represents um, awakening in some non-religious way, and Dharma is truth, and Sangha is community. Or you might have other ways, but uh, the idea is to touch into something that, um, that will support us, and also tie us together as a community, that there are shared values here, shared sense of being together, that's not just about us as individuals, but about something that's larger than that, or more pervasive than that, that the awakening of the Buddha represents, that the Dharma represents, and the Sangha represents. 
So the way we do this at the beginning is a call and response. And uh, we'll do it in the ancient Pali language. Uh, I'll say a few words and you can repeat after me. And, um, and the way we do start off by what's called the salutation to the Buddha, where we pay our respects to the Buddha or to the, or to the Buddha's awakening, if you like. And uh, we say that by just saying in Pali, Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa. Homage to the, uh, uh, the one who is uh, the, the, the blessed one, the worthy one, the fully, perfectly enlightened one, or self-enlightened one. And then we do the refuges, and we do it three times because um, sometimes it takes three times before we kind of like we get the idea, we catch on. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, and so th th it goes uh, Buddha, Buddham, Saranang, Gachami, Gachami is to go, Saranam is to, is means refuge, and Buddha is Buddha. And, and Dhammam Saranang Gachami, Sangam Saranang Gachami. And then we'll do it the second time, but we'll add then the word in Pali, Dutiyampi, which means for a second time. And then the third time we'll say Tatiyampi. And if you can't follow, you get full credit by just humming along. <laughs> so, um, so you can repeat after me. Namo Tasa Bhagavato Aharato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Aharato Sama Sambuddha Yeah, go Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Aharato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Saranang Gachami Dhammam Saranang Gachami Sangam Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Buddham Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Dhammam Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi 
Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami And so to um, further support this refuge, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, awakening, the teachings of awakening, the community supports, practice together, awakening. There's also the field of cultivating safety for ourselves and for each other with uh, traditionally taking uh, the five precepts. And so we will um, speak a little about these and then we'll uh, take them as well in, in English. But I find that um, the precepts, these trainings, are a blessing to the world. They keep us all safe. And of course, it's supporting the steadying of the mind and the heart when we're living in a life of integrity, of harmony. The mind and heart naturally becomes uh, steadier and happier. The joys of living with integrity are for any one of us. And uh, the very first precept in training is the training of not killing. And in Pali, it's Panatipata. And um, literally, Panatipata means the not taking away of one's breath. It's a very powerful and literal translation. And what it's speaking to is this uh, understanding of the sacredness of all life. As a matter of fact, if we just all practiced this Right now, there would be no wars. At least we'd not be killing each other with weapons and other things. At our house, we, my wife and I try to live as best we can with not harming beings, and also the recognition that it's nearly impossible, but we do the best we can. Some years ago, we had a we were living way out in the country, in a pretty uh, place up on a hill, and um, we had a dog, and it was a fabulous place for a dog. It was dog heaven, but it was also tick heaven. And so every night, dog would come back in, and we'd always have this ritual. She'd lie down, and we'd get out tweezers, and take some time. We'd pull out all the ticks put them in a little plastic cup, and then we'd go outside and gently leave them somewhere. 
and then the next day our dog would go out <laughs> and get a lot of ticks and we would repeat the same process. This was our way of life. And uh, one day um, my wife was bringing out the, the ticks and happened to see that uh, her car, the emergency brake, somehow got in disengaged and it was starting to roll down the hill and she quickly ran to the car and um, was able to get the emergency brake on and so the moral of the story is if we didn't save the tick we might have lost the car. <laughs> you just never know. But I love these teachings of Ahimsa, like it's such a kind, like the sacredness of all life. The sacredness of all life. Just as I value my life and my children's life and my pet's lives, <clears throat> so too beings cherish their lives. And so what a profound teaching of the sacredness of life. Matter of fact, um, being that um, we're here on retreat for a week, and actually a friend of mine who's pretty mu very much into um, gathering statistics about the benefits of being a vegetarian. His name is John Robbins. Some of you may have know know of him. Wrote Diet for New America. But he said that, uh, I was asking, well, what do you think? Like 40, 50 people meditating for a week, eating a vegetarian diet, what, what would that equal? And so he did some research and said that, um, that for this week, since we're eating vegetarian, we're saving the lives of 200 animals. This is, I guess, uh, according to an, an American diet and saving over a million gallons of water. And uh, a staggering amount of the prevention of greenhouse greenhouse gas emissions. And so um, this teaching of non-harming is an exquisitely beautiful teaching and you know we can reap the benefits as we um, live here this week and really bring attention to not causing harm, not to kill any living beings. And I really want to invite you as an experiment to how does that feel inside you to really bring that practice in your heart. The second training is not taking that which is not given. Stealing, and I think pretty much here we're, I think we're in a pretty safe place. And so this is understanding of not taking that which is not given. And of course it's opposite is the practices of generosity or the practices of deeply respecting. Um, you know, everyone has their own things and to respect them, to care for them. The third training, particularly since we are in retreat, is um, the practice of celibacy. When we're outside of retreat, the, the practices of not causing sexual harm, but for the sake of deep respect and support for each other, we're undertaking the training of celibacy as a way to support each other physically, energetically, mentally, emotionally. So this is practice that we're like brothers and sisters here supporting each other. A very kind way of being with each other with not the sense of wanting something from another. So deep respect and kindness. 
And normally the fifth training is uh, wise speech, speech that's honest and kind and useful and timely and beneficial. And of course with communication, listening is such a beautiful part of wise speech. I think there's a good reason why we have two ears in one mouth, but sometimes we have more going on with the one mouth than the ears. But the practice of wise speech, but in retreat, as was mentioned, we'll be practicing noble silence. And the silence is not, of course, a punishment. And sometimes, for some of us, this may have evoked times in our lives where we were, we were silenced, and so we're not offering it in this way. We're offering it in a way as an ally in meditative traditions that go back thousands of years. The practices of silence are an ally to support and to deepen practice, and so we're offering the silence in this way. There will be some times that there'll be some times for questions, there'll be some practice discussions where the silence can be, you know, broken and we will have a little bit of talking, but generally speaking, we'll be living here in, in noble silence. And that silence has other aspects that we really like to support during the retreat of no reading, writing, no arithmetic. <laughs> History, writing poems, haikus, taking pictures, texting, tweeting. Gosh, I was really—I'm really having a great retreat. I wish I was here. <laughs> so there's all these means to leave, and so we're really wanting to ask. Um, uh, that was very—you uh, know—like yeah, these emails and technologies, like kind of like breathing air, as Gil was saying. I appreciated what he said. And uh, we've become, or, and some of us have become uh, very habituated. Perhaps uh, we begin to see in Star Trek when they started getting the Borg, like they start, they're starting to become part human and part um, machine. And like you almost can see the beginning of it. I mean, I see people walking down the street talking to themselves with little things in their ears. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to be born with that. And then, you know... So anyways, so we like in this silence that it pertains to a deep silence with all these, uh, without using any of these uh, gadgets or writing or reading. And again, this is not a punishment, it's really to support as an ally for going deeper into practice. We also invite you to practice minimal eye contact so that you don't have to even extend your energies out, whether you need to look at someone and communicate back and forth, that you can keep it inside. For those of us that are introverts in the room, this is sounding pretty darn good. <laughs> introverts happy out and have to talk to anyone, they don't have to look at anyone. But for those of us that are extroverts, it's OMG. <laughs> and maybe some other acronyms that I won't mention, where it's like, what? And so easy, easy does it. And this is offered as a way to support the deepening of practice. It's so incredibly rare to get here and to do this practice and to make this time. So all of these, we, I really want to consider them to be allies because they're supporting the deepening of our practice.
the last training is um, is to abstain from any type of intoxicants. Of course, if any of you have some medications that need to be taken, of course that is fine. But in this retreat, um, there's such an emphasis to support the clarity of the mind and heart. And when there's intoxication, there is not that clarity. And so there's a real intentionality about awake, be awake. There's a beautiful three-line verse from Antonio Machado, and he says, Some say it's good to dream, and others say it's better to live. But best of all, my friend, is to awaken. Best of all, my friend, is to awaken. And so this clarity of the mind and heart to help us to support awakening. So these practices we undertake of uh, abstaining from intoxicants, so I'll also do um, a call and response, and we'll do this in English this time. And we'll um, let us really just take in um, these trainings. And again, I'll just say before we uh, do the call and response that these trainings are supporting us to steady the mind and the heart. When our, we're living in, te in integrity, we will not be filled with as much remorse, regret, guilt, shame, because we're living in a good way, with harmony. And so this harmonious type of living is supporting ourselves to deepen in our concentration and our mindfulness and our awareness, to helping to steady the mind and the heart. And then this, in turn, supports the potentialities for insights understanding to arise. That being said, I really want to invite us to let's just be here and we'll see what happens in any types of expectations or hopes for insights to kind of figure it out. May you offer it to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and never mind. Let's just see what happens. So we want to offer that sense of being here and let this, our practice in this retreat unfold. And so in a call and response, due to my interconnection that I share with all living beings, due to my interconnection that I share with all living beings, I undertake the practice of not killing. Due to my interconnection that I share with all living beings, I undertake the practice of not stealing. Due to my interconnection that I share with all living beings, I undertake the practices of celibacy. Due to my interconnection that I share with all living beings, I undertake the practices of noble silence. Due to my interconnection that I share with all living beings, I undertake the training of abstaining from intoxicants. 
for my benefit and the benefit of all beings, we undertake these trainings. The benefit and benefit of all living beings undertake these trainings. Thank you so much. So with that, the retreat has begun, and um, some of you have traveled long ways, some of you have been extra busy getting ready to be here, and you're tired, and um, so it's 8.30, and I'd recommend that any of you who can, go to bed. And if you um, want to stay up and keep meditating, the meditation hall is always open for that to happen. and. Uh, we hope that all of you get a good and deep and sound, contented sleep in your new home. And uh, the sitting will start at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I'm looking forward to our week together very much. Thank you.